You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. It's episode 19 of Grow Yourself Up. I'm delighted you're back here listening with me this week. It's really so lovely to be in community with all of you. And thank you for all your messages and ratings and reviews. It makes a real difference to other people finding it, finding the podcast, I mean. And um, I am always really touched by the reviews that I can see in the UK. Okay, so today we are going to talk about balancing our own healing journeys with raising our kids and how can we try and find a balance between those. Really in life, I think balance is pretty tricky. We're often advised to go for balance and often in the different seasons of our life, balance is actually impossible because naturally something has to kind of take preference or dominates the situation because of the needs of that. So for example, if you're parenting a baby, it's difficult to get balance. You know, you can't kind of still do all the things you used to do and tend to yourself in the same way because you're trying to keep a small human alive. So the, my use of the word balance, I guess, is something about trying to meet the needs of you on your healing journey and also trying to meet the needs of your kids. One of the first things I want to say is that you are important just as you are. So you doing your own healing journey for you and for all your different parts is important. You are not important just because you're a parent who is breaking cycles and shifting dysfunction. So really kind of hold that because often in parenting circles where we're trying to do conscious parenting or gentle parenting, whatever type of parenting we're trying to do, it seems that our value is as a tool to help our children. And I really want to emphasize that your value is inherent as you are and healing yourself will really help your children have less dysfunction in their own lives, essentially. So, but please hold on to that sense that you, you're not just there as a parent. You are also there as a valuable person in your own right. What's lovely actually in this case about the idea of our own healing journeys alongside raising kids is that these two are not mutually exclusive. Anything you do to better understand yourself, to tune into your own experience, to get to know your triggers, to understand the uniqueness of your own nervous system, 
to understand the bodily sensations that mean you might be about to go into a rage. Anything you do to deepen your own understanding of yourself and your experience and to actually tend to that will help your kids because you will then be able to do that much more for your kids. So last week on episode 18, we talked a lot about self-compassion and having that portal of self-compassion for you about your own experience massively helps in with extending um, that to your kids. So you, you can kind of see that as you grow and heal, everything about the way you will be with your kids is different. So the more that you attend to your feelings, to your nervous system, to your body sensations, the more you can actually help your child with their experience of the world. Because children learn much more from what we do and how we treat ourselves and what we model than from what we say. If we are trying to teach our kids empathy, but we're very unempathic with ourselves or with our partner, it's going to be difficult for them to learn empathy. If we are trying to teach our child to tolerate waiting for something, so to teach them patience or just the ability to wait, to wait in a line, to queue at the post office, to just wait for anything, but we are extremely impatient with things or we can't tolerate having to stand in the post office queue because we, so we're constantly on our phone or we get very snappy. Our children will also pick up on that kind of inability to just be present and kind of endure something, endure that actual standing in the queue. So really think about modeling the behavior that you hope to see in your child. Now, obviously we can't get this perfectly. I am notice, I notice in the car. I get really irate when I'm stuck behind someone who's really slow. The other day I was driving my children somewhere and I was kind of getting irate about something. And I thought to myself, what am I modeling here? Like what on earth am I modeling? Because I was getting irate about who I thought was in front of me. And then when the person turned off, they were like, that person's gone. And I was like, wow. I mean, I know that when we are hypervigilant and we kind of activated in our nervous system, getting cross in the car is pretty common. But I'm really working to be kind of calm in the car, to not kind of uh, shout about what other someone else is doing, um, shout about what a driver is doing, because it doesn't help me. And um, it certainly doesn't, it's not helpful modeling for my kids. But be very gentle with yourself around this, because we, we all have ways of being in the world that kind of often outlets for things. So I noticed wow, I must have some anger because sometimes I do get very cross when I'm driving. I mean, I know that I have anger and stuff that still needs to be processed from my childhood, but it's an indicator for me of something. So just hold on to that thing that children learn much more from what we do than from what we say. So if we want to teach, we teach by doing. And so as we kind of consider this healing journey, our own healing journey alongside raising kids, I want to give you an analogy because you know how much I think in pictures and I think in ideas. Well, I think in like drawings, actually. And you are your kid's ecosystem. So imagine you're like a greenhouse and your kids, obviously they don't grow inside of you once they've been born, but essentially the emotional environment you provide is their ecosystem. And as we all know, plants don't grow if the soil is bad or, you know, they've got acid rain dropping on them or something like that, or they don't have enough sun. And it's the same with our children. In order for them to grow and thrive, their ecosystem needs to be as healthy and vibrant and thriving as possible. And so if you find it really difficult to meet your needs and you feel selfish 
or you feel guilty for, for doing something, putting yourself first, I really want to invite you into using this analogy to think, okay, I may still be stuck in a place where it feels really important to meet others' needs first. And actually, if I really want to do that, it's very important that I tend to me because I'm the ecosystem. And so I'm making that greenhouse really like a beautiful tropical place for them to grow. And I think that can be a very helpful way as we kind of learn to start putting ourselves first that, to understand that if we want to actually be able to be present for our children and help them learn to do all the things for themselves that we didn't learn as children. So to really tend to their feelings, to be present with their own emotional experience, to love themselves, however they are being, then we need to model that and we need ourselves to be well cared for to do that. So you are the ecosystem. And so meeting your needs and behaving like you're important is a key part of that ecosystem. So really, our own healing journey is actually very intimately intertwined with raising our children if we want to raise children who are emotionally healthy, resilient, connected, and feel good about themselves. So let's talk a little bit about attachment theory. So attachment theory, the father of um, attachment theory is John Bowlby, and he was greatly assisted in his work by two women, both called Mary, actually Mary Ainsworth and Mary Main, who greatly advanced his work and did a lot of research, which proved out some of his work. It's lovely to read the work of both Marys. It's very powerful. So Mary Main and Mary Ainsworth. Two things I just want to talk about briefly from um, this body of work are the concept of the internal working model and the secure base. So the internal working model, uh, Bowlby hypothesized, that attachment is really, really important because it gives us, you know, I, I use that analogy of talking about building our house and we've got the um, the roof as our brain and the walls and the base of the house is the nervous system. So in that roof, we've got a model. He called it the internal working model. Other schools of psychology or psychotherapy use slightly different terms, but it's basically a model for how people relate to you. So from our earliest relationships, we learn what to expect. If we have a mum who's really attentive and comes when we're crying and soothes us with her gentle voice and says, okay, sweetie, I'm coming, my love. I know it's so tricky. You're so hungry. Here's your bottle or just wait. I'm about to get my boob out and sort of soothes us with her voice and is warm and loving in her tone and like lovely prosody in her voice and holds us gently to her. We learn over time and over thousands and thousands of interactions, which there's always rupture, just to highlight that, because none of us are perfect and rupture is actually important. But through thousands of those interactions, which change in their nature, obviously, as your child gets older, because you kind of change how you respond a little bit. We learn, oh, people are safe. People come when I call. People are there for me. People are safe. Relationships are loving. We learn I can feel safe with people. I can seek relationship out. I can trust that people will come. I can trust that they will meet my needs. I can trust that I am important enough to have my needs met. So that's the concept of the working model. So it teaches us about how we are as a person, about our own kind of sense of worth and value, that it's just inherent, assuming we have a secure attachment. It teaches us how we need to be for so sorry, it's not that it teaches us, it's that we construct in our mind from when we're born, this internal working model of how the world operates. So our model has a 
view about how I need to be to be accepted and loved. How do I expect other people to treat me? How do I need to behave to get those people to love me? Can I expect good in the world? Can I trust? And we all carry around a slightly different internal working model. They're very commonly the same when we haven't had our needs met, because we often, instead of believing that we can trust in relationships and that we can trust people and the people will be there for us, we are much more defended against relationships because they've been a great source of pain for us. So that's the internal working model. And as always, models are sort of, they approximate things. And we have these internal working models, which essentially build on neural pathways, because each time we go into a relationship, we need some prior learning to understand how to be in relationship. And so Bowlby hypothesized this around the internal working model. And there's also this concept of the secure base. So the secure base, it's an idea the parent, so the primary caregiver, is like a place from which to explore the world, knowing that we have this parent enables us to go forth and explore. And you notice this in very small ways. Um, if you're sort of standing in your kitchen and maybe you've got an island in your kitchen and you're behind the island and your baby can't see you initially, that will be too much for them to tolerate because uh, they want to see you in their eye line. And then later, as they get a bit older, they'll be happy to explore a little bit around the room without being able to see you, knowing you that you're there, but they often look back and check that you're there. So if you see little children at the park, their mum may be sitting on a bench or standing at the slide or something, and then they run to go further down into the park. But they'll often turn to check, oh, is she still there? And it's literally, you can imagine like they've, there's like an invisible string. Actually, there's a book called The Invisible String about helping with school preparation, I think. But you can imagine that there's an invisible string between our children and us, and we have to kind of give them some slack to go and explore the world, and they will keep on coming back to us to know, oh, here's my person, you're the one who keeps me safe, I can come back to you, but I'm safe enough to explore the world. That concept of the secure base is really, really important because we actually internalize that as well in our kind of our soul, I guess, like an idea that I'm safe enough because I've got these people in my life. We carry our loved ones with us. And so we have this concept of the secure base throughout our lives. If you are in relationship now as an adult with your loved one, they, in some sense, perform that secure base function for you. You might not be with them all the time. Maybe they're at work or you're doing different things, but you've internalized a sense of that. And that actually often happens with with our therapists as well. They become our secure base um, when we when we go into therapy and we develop a relationship with them and then we feel safer to explore the world because we know we've got someone who is in our corner tending to us and gives us a sort of an embodied sense of safety. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, why did she start talking about um, these two concepts from attachment, eternal working model and secure base? when we're talking about our own healing journeys with kids. One of my listeners emailed me during the week talking about how how could we balance this journey of healing, our own healing journeys with raising our kids, and how do we make sure we don't mess our kids up? Now, that's a really big question, but one of the things that is really important to consider when we when we're raising our children is how to create a secure attachment and how do we need to be in order to try and create that secure attachment. And really the reason that our own healing is so important 
as we do this journey for our kids is that the better regulated we are and the more we can soothe ourselves and be present with our own emotional experience, the more likely is we can actually be present for our child's emotional experience and allow their emotional experience without trying to shut them down in whatever way we do that because we feel too uncomfortable with that. And so that therefore helps our own healing journey helps with creating a secure attachment for our children. So I hope that makes sense. I'm going to go into a bit more detail about that, but I'm going to borrow a concept. So my first degrees were in economics and I'm going to borrow a concept from economics because I think it's a really helpful way to understand how feelings kind of work. So if you imagine like in your kind of family or in any interaction you've got going on with your children, children's feelings are very big often. And I'm sure you know this, that, you know, there's lots of big reactions, lots of kind of dramatic reactions about things that you might think like, what on earth are you reacting like that for? But that's how kind of children learn. And one of the main things that we need to do, so it starts with when, when we have a baby, you know, they have a big cry when they are hungry and we soothe them. We regulate them. We downregulate them. Essentially, we help them with modulating the experience of hunger. We give a feeling of safety and that we're bringing the food. And then they learn over time that we will help them with that regulation because the attach, the core of attachment is actually regulation. It's the ability to um, regulate emotions. And so with a, a secure attachment bond, when we've attended to our child in a good enough way over time, they will trust, oh, I mean, they're not going to think this because they don't have that capacity yet, but it's an embodied sense of my parent has been consistent enough and I've learned that people are safe and connection is safe and I can trust that they will come. They will come in a consistent enough way to tend to me. And when we ourselves are very dysregulated, and there's no shame in this, I'm raising my hand as I record this for you to say I'm, I've also been very dysregulated. Because when we've been raised in a house where we had parents who had dysregulated nervous systems, there was no other option. So, you know, that, that was coming to us. So instead of castigating yourself for that now, please really congratulate yourself. You're even bothering to listen to this podcast. So when we um, are ourselves dysregulated or just uh, prone to being more dysregulated, our own nervous systems will be very impacted by our children. It's very jarring having a lot of big emotions come at you all the time. And what can sometimes happen is that our own emotional response to the situation crowds out our children's response. So that's the term I want to introduce you to, this crowding out idea. Because if you imagine on a in any space, there's a kind of a fixed amount of space. So if, if your toddler's big emotions are crowding into the space, but actually it feels so overwhelming for you that you need to get them to shut down, then you completely crowd them out of that space with your reaction. Maybe you shout, maybe you totally shut down and ignore them and walk away. Whatever happens, not being able to, well, the rage actually will tend to crowd it out more. The, the shutting down and, and dissociating will tend to um, stimulate a fear response in them. But what then happens is the child learns that, oh, it's not safe to have these feelings over time. And I mean, this is a thing that happens over and over and over. So 
you know, we all have this sometimes where we, we go into a rage or we shut down because it feels too overwhelming and we just want to get away from our children. We, we go into then our own, um, if I want to get out of the room, that's I'm going into my own flight response and rage is my fight response. But this idea of we want to actually give our children as much space as possible for their feelings. So we need mastery over our own emotional reactions so we don't crowd them out. I hope that term is not too confusing. Do do email me if, if you need me to explain it better. Let me give you a couple of examples um, to um, kind of help you understand this. I want to sort of start this little section by saying that your relationship with your child is the most important thing in your parenting. It's it's the it's the tool that kind of governs everything. So tending to the relationship and helping your child, making your child feel seen, uh, repairing those ruptures, that is what's really valuable in um in the parenting game. Yes, there can be scripts and clever things to say, but tending to the relationship is the most important thing and your ability to tend to the relationship is very much based on your ability to tend to yourself, so your relationship with yourself and your nervous system, and to help yourself be in a regulated place, as regulated as possible. So we're not aiming to always be, um, in, in polyvagal theory, there's three main states. So there's ventral vagal, um, sympathetic, and dorsal vagal. Now those are um, terms that are used widely by um Deb Dana, other people have got other language they use. Um, and you can name them whatever you want, but they're, th- they're three pathways that in our autonomic nervous system. And when I first started to study this stuff, I used to think, uh, so are we aiming to always be in ventral vagal, which is the social engagement connected state? But no, we're not. We're aiming for flexibility so that we don't get stuck in our survival states. I, previously went a lot between my survival states. So between a shutdown place and between a very activated place. And that's the case for many of us with like little trips into ventral. And really we want to catch ourselves more quickly. So to notice, oh, wow, I've gone into a very mobilized state. Okay. So how can I help myself kind of ground, get back to being more connected? Or wow, I'm feeling very shut down. Um, I need to kind of get away. I feel quite dissociated. Uh, I feel a bit powerless or helpless. Let me help myself um, come back into a place of more connection. So starting to to know that about yourself, and this is really long-term work, I want to say, and I'll do a lot more about this specifically about how we can do this, but starting to be aware of our own experience in our body and what triggers us is pretty much the most important thing I would suggest in parenting, and that is a huge part of the healing journey. And the reason for what I'm saying is the following. So it deeply impacts our own ability to turn up for our child in a way that we may want to. So let me give you some sort of exact examples, specific examples. So at bedtime. Now, bedtime is a tricky time for many kiddies. It's actually a time of the greatest separation. You know, we are their people. They love us deeply. And this is a time when we are trying to get them just get the hell to bed, please, basically, is often how I feel like. Can you just go to sleep now? I've had enough. I need to go downstairs. But for them, it's a big separation. And so that's when we have the requests for like more water, like another trip to the loo, more hugs. Can you sing me a song? Can you tickle my back? 
you know, 100,000 requests, basically, because they are trying to delay that separation, essentially. Or they maybe have got other things going on as well. But it's, it's, a, it's a time when actually they really want connection to kind of ease into sleep. And often, this happens for me, I want to get away, I want to go downstairs, and I want to kind of live my own life. So when I am in an activated state, and I'm getting kind of more and more agitated. I don't have any capacity really to be um, empathic and to be kind and to say, oh, my angel, I know it is so hard. Oh, it's so hard. You don't want to be separated out from mommy. You just want me to be here. You want me to lie here and tickle your back. I know it's so hard um, because I'm getting so agitated myself. I can feel my like fight response starting to build in my tummy. Um, I'm kind of getting close to want to shout, even though that really does not help in any way. And so essentially, I start to really crowd their feelings out. It becomes difficult to hold space for their, you know, they, they can't say, oh, mom, it feels really difficult because I don't want to, um, I don't want to go to sleep because I miss you then. Sometimes they do say, I really miss you, but they can't verbalize. Um, I don't want you to go away because I'm going to go into my sleeping thing now. And I, I want to just know that you're here always the whole night, basically. But they can't say that. So they kind of, you know, do other things to try and get you to stay essentially. And when I am activated, then the whole bed process takes a whole lot longer because I can't just be present with what's going on. And it's almost miraculous when we are more med- uh, regulated and are able to just be present. So when I'm able to just be like, oh, I know it's so hard. I know, Angel. You want me to just stay with you, sweetie? I know. Bedtime is so hard. Like literally saying 40 words to my daughter sometimes just calms the whole situation down. It's it's when I can just be with their feelings and not try and change it, just to sort of acknowledge, I know it's so hard, isn't it? You don't want to go to sleep. You want mommy to stay with you. And I know that I'm kind of going on about this, but our children's behavior gives us an indication of what they need. It really gives us an indication of what they need. And often it's just acknowledgement, validation, and some space for processing. It's the same often with leaving the park. So I sometimes see people like dragging their children away from the park, shouting at them about, you know, well, this is what we said, we were going to leave in five minutes, da, 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 da. But if you just take the time, if you are regulated enough to just honor their experience, it doesn't mean you don't, um, it doesn't mean you abandon yourself and you stay at the park for two more hours. It just means you go, I know. Oh, the park is such fun. I also would really want to stay if I was you. And we're going home for dinner now. And taking that time to, to acknowledge that. It's like you pop a balloon. The feel that like you can see when you look at your children. Oh yeah. Now they feel seen. Their little faces kind of take on a um it's i find this very beautiful to watch my daughters when i'm really really present with their feelings how the impact of feeling seen it really it it makes us feel so connected and when i have that experience maybe with my husband or i'm having that interaction with my daughters it's very beautiful it's like the kind of the essence of humanness and this is all dependent on our own awareness of our own experience and being really in touch with our own, like what we might have needed. So, you know, if you've had a really, really tricky day and you just want to get the fuck out of the park, excuse my language, and you're like desperate to get home or you need the loo or you're really, really thirsty, 
it's difficult for you to then have the capacity to, to honor your child's experience and just say, oh, sweetheart, I know. You just wanted to go on that slide one more time. It's difficult because you don't have any capacity at that point. And that is why you doing your own healing work, tending to yourself, working on doing things like your exercise, your swimming, your meditation, whatever it is that helps you feel better regulated to complete stress cycles in your own body will benefit everything in your parenting, literally everything. So you tend into yourself, you know, when we talked about compassion last week, being aware of all your parts, being aware of the part who wants to like scream at your child, whatever you want to scream at them, and just to go, even to soothe that part of yourself to say, I know, oh, this parenting job, honestly, oh, it's like the worst thing in the whole wide world sometimes. To just acknowledge that for yourself and to, to help yourself be better regulated changes everything in parenting. This is literally my favorite topic. So I've got about 50,000 other examples to tell you, but I'm noticing this is probably getting a bit long for this week. So just a kind of a quick thing about, you know, working on your own attachment relationship with yourself. So by tending to yourself and soothing yourself, hold on to that, that idea that you're the ecosystem and that it's not selfish to tend to the ecosystem. You have inherent worth and tending to yourself makes all the difference in how you parent. And that if indeed you do really want to shift dysfunctional patterns in your family, you are the gateway for that. And you have to tend to yourself to do that. So this, this parenting your children to be resilient, connected, loving, have a secure, have a secure attachment and to have this working model, which is based in trust and, and the idea that relationship is safe and is lovely. You need to be tending to yourself to be able to do that for your child. Because otherwise, your big feelings or shutting down crowds them out and they learn that it's kind of not safe to engage. So you're really trying to shift that pattern around relationship, around trust, allowing feelings. I hope this has made sense. This is like my deepest passion that we need to get this information out into the world. So let me know and um, take really good care. Thanks for being here. Bye. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living. Music